What is servant leadership and how can nursing and healthcare leaders embody the ethos of servant leadership in this complex 21st century world? Let's talk all about it with executive coach and nurse leader, Carol Schmeckel, right here on episode 318 of the Nurse Keith Show. Hello there, this is Nurse Keith. In these days of the COVID-19 pandemic, I'm still bringing you my pandemic updates at the end of every month. Meanwhile, this podcast is all about you, your personal and professional development, your nursing and healthcare career, and the healthcare system as a whole. And I'm here to share education, ideas, diatribes, and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare, medicine, nursing, entrepreneurship, tech and beyond. I love having you along for the ride, whether you're new to the show or you've been hanging out with me here for months or even years. Thanks for being part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. And remember that Nurse Keith Coaching is your destination for all things related to your career. I offer individualized, holistic career coaching for nurses and healthcare professionals. Email me at keith at nursekeith.com to schedule a complimentary consult. And if you mention the show, you can get 10% off your first coaching package. And the show notes for this episode where you can learn all about Carol will be at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 318. So as I said, we're here with friend of the pod, Carol Schmeckel coming to us from the Atlanta area. And Carol, we're here to talk about you and the work you do as an executive coach, and also about the concept of servant leadership, which I've mentioned on the show from time to time, but I don't think I've ever really clearly defined. So what is servant leadership and why should nurses even think about that concept? Well, to me, servant leadership is serving others, whether it be patients, Um, depending on your environment, customers, families, each other. Um, And I think that's really important for nurses because that is in reality what our practice is based on. We're there to care for everyone who comes and needs our help, um, and we're there to service them. Um, It's not about us and meeting our needs. It's about meeting the needs of others, which in this current environment is a little bit challenging as healthcare providers nurses, physicians, other disciplines are really struggling with how do they balance caring and serving others and also taking care of themselves. Mm. Oh, good. Okay. So I'm, I'm glad you, you made it really clear. So, right. So nursing is about service, right? That's a big piece of why a lot mm-hmm. of us go into nursing and leaders can come from a lot of different paradigms in terms of how they lead. So Let's let's talk about some examples. So, how does a um, how do I say this? How does a nurse leader who considers him or herself a servant leader? How do they show up for their team? Like, what what does it look like when a servant leader is in charge? Well, I think how it looks is that first of all, they're present in the moment. They're not distracted by other things that are going on, um, that they are interacting with the folks that they are leading. Um, And when they're talking to an individual, that individual feels like they are the most important person at that point in time. Um, And I think that is a way that a leader can display that, that they are available. Um, And, you know, one of the challenges 
currently is that leaders have to not only focus on the practice and the technical aspect of caring and nursing, but there are life issues that are um, really challenging for folks. And so they have to be able to listen to that. And, um, and for some of them, it's probably out of their comfort zone. They're not usually used to listening to challenges one might be having at home or with children you know, that aren't in school, that are at home learning or, you know, whatever it might be. And so um, it's a different set of skills that um, leaders are having to use. Although I would suggest what they can do is transfer the skills they've had focused on the work environment into the personal environment um, and be quite successful. Um, I think also um, helping folks know that you care. You may not be able to meet all their needs or do everything that they'd like you to do, but that you've heard them and um, you're doing the best you can given the limited resources or other challenges that organizations are currently having. And I also think that um, leaders have to know when they themselves might have to step back because they aren't able to be fully present because they're too tired or they're too stressed, recognizing that and getting resources to help them so they in turn can better help um, the folks that they're leading. And I think that's an area that um, nurse leaders, leaders in general, but nurse leaders um, historically have not been very good at. Many nurse leaders see that if they're asking for help, that that's a sign of weakness when in fact, I would suggest that that's a sign of strength to know that um, you have some need to be supported or have some interventions. Um, and I think that's a good example to the folks that you lead that, you know, you're a human being and you have limits also, you have flaws, you have challenges. So do you mean a leader, a nurse leader being able to be vulnerable and authentic and not have to just make it seem like they're they're this leader made of steel who has no feelings and no problems and no challenges him or herself? Yes, I think it's very important that someone is um, authentic and transparent. Um, early in my career, I had a mentor who really worked with me. Um, I grew up in a German family where you don't show your emotions. Mm -hmm. And um, I was in leadership and um, really advocating for my group. Um, and some of them didn't believe that I was. And um, we had multiple conversations. And, you know, finally she said, look, I'm German too. I get it. Um, if people could see how passionate you are about them and advocating for them, then they wouldn't be filling in the blanks themselves. And so you need to learn how to be more vulnerable, more transparent. And, you know, that was hard. It was a very hard lesson, but it was a good one that I learned early in my leadership career. So that mentor kind of steered your ship a little to the left or right to say you need to open up a little bit more and express more because you're, you said fill in the blank. So it sounds like your team wasn't fully aware of how you felt and what you were thinking or doing because you didn't share openly with them. So they were right. a little bit in the dark. And like you said, filling in the blanks, making assumptions about you. Right. Yep. They were. She really pushed me into what I would call my discomfort zone. Um, mm -hmm. And it really resulted in a lot of learning, a lot of learning. Okay. So what are a couple things you learned? Like, um, and sounds like it 
might have been, well, sounds like it was kind of hard um, that it pushed you, like you said, beyond your your normal way of being. It pushed you past your your modus operandi that you'd been using for a long time. So right. what are a couple of things you learned along the way that maybe a nurse leader, let's say a younger nurse leader listening right now to this interview would be like, huh, I should really think about that. Well, I think one important thing is um, over communicating with the folks you're leading, letting them know that you've heard them, you're working on it, giving them some um, time frames and reporting back. So if something's taking longer, swing back around and say, just want to give you an update. And that's actually early on. That's what I did with the group. And it got to the point where the group finally said, we know that you're working on what we bring to you. We don't need an update every week. So um, just let us know when you have it finished. And I think that's what you've got to do is keep communicating until the group, first of all, has enough information. Secondly, trust you um, so they don't need as frequent um, updates. Um, and that takes time. And you have to be willing to do that um, because it's really important to build that trust with the team you're leading, especially for young leaders. And I think it's even more challenging for those that have come from the group they're leading because they have to go through that transition that, um, you know, I'm now leading you. I'm not one of the peers. I have a different relationship with you. And so I have to communicate differently than I might have um, in the past. Um, And so I think that's an area that um, people who are mentoring those young leaders really need to help them with. Let's. Let, that's a really good lesson you learned over communicating. It's sort of like that, that old adage of, um, for business mostly is like under promise and over deliver. Right. So, Definitely. so over communicating and let's talk about the leader who is kind of quote unquote graduating or being promoted from staff nurse to, or charge nurse to director of nursing or unit manager or something, right? So you're saying a nurse who's rising through the ranks, and I bet there's plenty of nurses listening to this episode who've done this or watched others do it or want to do it, right? You want to advance and not everybody wants to be an official leader, um, but many people do for various reasons. So let's talk about that transition (laughs) from staff member to leader. And it's one thing to be assigned charge nurse a couple days a week, (laughs) but it's another thing to become the unit manager or director. So what are a couple things that a nurse rising like that needs to consider and think, okay, how am I going to navigate this transition with the people I've been working for, for the last, I don't know, seven years? Well, I, what I suggest is that they really look at um, the folks that are in the work group that they were part of, that they were more than just colleagues at work, and that they need to have a conversation, um, and I recommend outside of work, you know, go for coffee or lunch or dinner, um, and have a conversation. If you're allowed to in the, <laughs> under the pandemic circumstances. That's true, if you're allowed to. Um, maybe a Zoom meeting. Um, but to have a conversation around how our relationship will need to be different so that you can support me to be successful and I can support you. I think that's the place you start. 
I think um, also um, really thinking through the new leader, what does that mean to them? Um, does that mean that um, I need to be in different Facebook groups, um, di different LinkedIn groups, different social groups, um, really looking at that and really trying um, to establish a relationship where, you know, for example, our children might be in the same schools or same activities. And when I'm there, I'm the mother of the children. Mm -hmm. I'm not your manager or, you know, if you're at the gym working out, I'm not your manager. I'm, you know, another person working at the gym. And I think that when new leaders um, omit that, or even leaders who are continuing to advance, I think that um, they really struggle with why they're having conflicts. And it comes back to always communication and really setting the expectations, both for themselves and for others. And hearing from you know, their former peers, what is it they expect of them? What are they willing to do to help this new leader be successful? So I, I think that really thinking that through before you sit down um, with somebody um, is helpful. Um, and even role-playing it with, you know, either your person you report to or a mentor or, you know, a coach so that you've kind of worked it through before you um, sit down and think about what might be all of the various um, reactions um, to that. Because some might be, you know, um, I thought we were friends, you know, they expect special mm -hmm. treatment. Others might be something as simple as you're not old enough to be my boss. You're not experienced enough to be my boss. So, you know, you really have to mm -hmm. think through um, those kinds of issues. And I don't think always nursing leaders um, sort of process that, um, even though we're great at processing, we don't really process that. We just figure, you know, it's going to work out and has to be much more intentional. That's really interesting. That's not where I expected you to go at first. And, and I'm, I'm fascinated. I would not have really thought of that in this moment. Like the, the first thing you recommended was first meeting with the people you've been kind of more than colleagues with, who've been, you know, work friends or maybe really close friends because you've been working together a long time and you've shed blood, sweat, and tears together. And now you're kind of moving into a new, a new space and the relationship has to shift. And I love how you talked about saying, well, when we meet up at school, picking up our kids, I'm just another mom and I'm your friend. Or if we meet up at the gym, you know, I'm not your boss in that moment. And that's, wow. I, I would not have really thought of that. And I'm really glad you addressed that. And one thing I want to say <laughs> is that you're not coming from a place of like theorizing about being a leader. Um, when I look at your LinkedIn, I see, um, well, I see that you're an executive coach, certified executive coach, but I see executive director of surgical uh, services, senior director of clinical services, vice president of patient services, administrative director, manager of nursing, VP of operations. <laughs> I mean, um, you're not talking from like just that you've read a bunch of books and you're just like, oh, this is what leadership is. You've been in leadership in nursing and healthcare for a very long time. So I bet a lot of what you've learned here, you you learned the hard way, didn't you? I did because early in my career, um, I couldn't find 
many nursing leaders that were good at coaching and mentoring because that's not a skill that, you know, based on our education process that we tend to learn. Um, you know, those of us, myself included, that played sports, we kind of understood, you know, what a coach did. Um, mm-hmm. I actually found in healthcare, um, most of my coaches and mentors were actually members of the medical staff, senior members of the medical staff who, you know, had learned through their education and assimilation, you know, how you work with an, a medical student, an intern, a resident, a fellow, a new attending. And so they were able to quickly sort of pivot into, well, this is how it would apply to a nursing leader. Um, I did do a lot of reading, a lot of reading. Um, and I think that's good to get different perspectives. And I didn't do reading only in healthcare. I did a lot of reading um, business literature about different leaders, um, also books written by folks that um, are really faith-based leaders to get their perspective. And so all of those have really helped me evolve um, as a leader um, over time um, because I, you know, that is um, critical. And I recently read an article that um, a colleague of mine wrote that if you can't find a mentor, there are ways you can mentor yourself. And, um, and I fully believe in that, that there are times when you have to identify, okay, if I were mentoring somebody, I would do, you know, these things, and then you have to apply them to yourself. Not ideal, um, because it's helpful to have someone else to bounce ideas off. But I think that, um, you know, one of the things you can do if you don't have a mentor is really look around your organization and find who are people in the organization that are the kind of leader that you want to be, regardless of what it is that they're leading in the organization. And then really watch them, learn from them, um, you know, have conversations with them. And then that can help sort of shape how you're going to be as a leader. Um, I think, you know, that's another way you can do it if you, you know, do not have a leader. And I did some of that in my career, there were some leaders that, you know, I didn't report up their chain of command, but as I, you know, moved around the organization, I could see they were really um, authentic, genuine leaders. They cared about their people. And um, so I really watched what they did and really learned from the example that they set. Um, And I think that's important. Yeah. So you're kind of saying to emulate what you see in others, even if maybe they're not your official mentor, but you watch them and you're like, wow, I really liked how they communicated that. Or, wow, I love how they approached this situation, right? A kind of emulation of, of the things that you find are impressive or have really had this impact on you. And you, you kind of sit up and notice like, wow, that's, that's really cool how they did that. Right. And I think the contrast, identify leaders in the organization that you don't want to be like, what is it that they do? (laughs) And that's a way to learn too. I learned as much from (laughs) leaders I worked with that I did not want to be the kind of leader they were as I did from those that I did want to be the kind of leader. Um, I, you know, started out my nursing career naively thinking that um, all leaders knew the folks they worked with were highly visible, interactive, went in at all hours of the day and night because my first role model was my mother who was a manager 
for many years. And that's sort of how she operated. She would go in early in the morning to get the midnight shift, stay late to get the afternoon, go on the weekends, go in on holidays. And so I kind of expected that's what nursing leaders did. And, you know, was very disappointed to find out that that is not how all leaders and, um, even after she retired 20, almost 30 years after she retired, the people she worked with still mm-hmm. kept in contact with her, still checked in on her. It was just amazing to watch because she really impacted their lives. And that's what a good leader um, will do is they will impact people's lives. And people remember that. Wow. Now, let's just, before we take a break, I just want to ask you, so your mom was a nurse. Yes. And was she the first nurse in your family or was there a lineage of nurses even before her? No, there was a lineage of people who cared for other people, but she was the first nurse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I see. And you very directly followed in her footsteps. I did. I did. Did you ever work together? Um, actually, when I was in college, she managed a psych med unit. And when I was in college one summer, their administrator decided that for summer help, they would only hire um, either children of employees or people they knew. So I worked in activities therapy one summer, got assigned to her unit. So it really um, was an interesting experience and it really gave me a much better understanding of what it was she did every day. And also why when she came home at the end of the day, we would descend on her and um, she would say, give me 15 minutes and then I'm all yours. And I could never figure out why Mm -hmm. she would do that. But after seeing the environment she worked in, because these were long-term psychiatric patients and um, she needed that 15 minutes to kind of to regroup. Now I did much more administrative work. She um, was a nurse manager, loved it, had no desire to advance. So as I advanced further in my career, um, she had a hard time wrapping her head around um, how you would be able to do that job because her Mm. reference point was if you're leading, you have to be able to do everything the folks that you lead do, which as a nurse manager, you can, but you can't when you're a vice president of patient care, things like that. So, yeah. So she was coming from the older world and where... Um, the nurse leader would be cross-trained and everything and would just jump in at any moment, which I know a lot of leaders are doing right now during the pandemic. So your mom would probably be like two thumbs up, you know? (laughs) She Um, would. (laughs) So So when we come back from the break, Carol, I want to talk about the work that you do as an executive coach and who you work with and why you chose to do that and what kind of outcomes you see. And also would like to touch on, you know, I know your faith is important to you and you mentioned that a few minutes ago. And I just want to touch on that too, because if that's part of who you are, then I definitely want to elicit that. So when we come back from the break, we'll dive right back into this awesome conversation. So now we're going to take a pause for the cause for just a moment. Please consider becoming a patron of The Nurse Keith Show, just like other awesome listeners who value the show so much that they want to give just a little bit each month to support the work we're doing here. When you pledge, you not only get the satisfaction of helping produce and support The Nurse Keith Show, you also get some pretty cool premiums and gifts from yours truly. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash Nurse Keith to read all about it. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N forward slash Nurse Keith. 
And if you know someone who could benefit from career coaching with me, please consider referring them. And if they become a paying client, you'll receive credit for an hour of coaching with me. And there's no expiration date on that credit. So you can keep it in your back pocket until you need it most. And remember that you can refer as many people as you like and continue to earn those coaching credits. What an incredible deal. And please head over to nursekeith.com and sign up for my newsletter, which comes out regularly and brings you supportive messages, updates from my blog and my podcast, resources, and all sorts of other stuff. Remember, nursekeith.com, sign up for that newsletter, and you'll also get a free download from me as my gift to you. Anyway, those are my sincere asks today. So now, Let's dig back into today's topic without further ado. And welcome back to the second half of the episode. Please remember the show notes where you can learn all about Carol Schmeckel and her work as an executive coach will be at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 318. And Carol, we were just talking about your mom and how you had a summer when you were in college where it was kind of like bring your daughter to work day, but it was a whole summer. Yeah. And so and you, you got, got to, for it. <laughs> and you got paid for it. So yeah. you got to watch your mom and get paid. So that's kind of right. cool. And you learned a lot from watching her and you started to understand like, wow, that's why mom needs a break when she gets home. Right. Now I get it. And then as you became a nurse leader and then an executive and vice president of nursing, et cetera, she had a hard time kind of understanding that the role was very different than what she had understood in, in, you know, sort of a prior generation of nursing. So it's interesting that you had that crossover with her and got to talk about it. Right. Yeah. Well, what I did remind her is because she had directors of nursing. And so I asked her, would you have wanted your director of nursing on your unit taking care of patients? She said, absolutely not. I said, see, hmm. they didn't need to know how to do that. There were other things they did. So yeah, it was interesting conversations, needless to say. That's really interesting. And before the break, we also talked about mentorship. And you were saying how if you can't find a mentor officially, there are ways to mentor yourself. And then there's also ways to just sort of watch people who you think are really awesome and observe them and emulate them. And right. sometimes we can find a mentor who might actually be outside of our, outside of our industry who has something to share with us about, you know, it could be someone in the business world, but who really understands leadership. And even though they're not a healthcare person, they might have lessons to teach you, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. Have you ever have you ever had a, a friend or colleague who didn't work in healthcare, but you had a relationship where you could really glean some interesting lessons from them in the leadership world? I, I have. I um, have a brother who um, is now a retired lieutenant from the Michigan State Police. And so he was in leadership the bulk of his career with um, MSP. And so we would kind of compare notes in terms of, you know, that's a different kind of organization. It's much more like a military organization, a lot of hierarchy. Um, and, um, you know, his role really was that he was 
um, much like my role in healthcare, was a fixer. If people had issues, they usually would want you to come and help them figure out how to solve mm -hmm. it. And so, um, you know, we would frequently talk about, you know, what was working, what didn't, um, what we needed from, you know, the leaders that we had. Um, and so that was a good way to get a different um, perspective for me in terms of someone not in healthcare. And um, for him, it was helpful to get a perspective um, outside of his type of organization. Um, and I think over the years, um, we both were able to really help each other learn how to be um, better leaders. Well, wow. so you had um, interesting conversations in your family about leadership, which a lot of people might not have, and they might envy that you had those opportunities because we don't always have people in our families who right. have the kind of experience that will directly reflect on, you know, what, what we're doing, but right. we can always, there's mean, we can learn from anybody really, if we try to. We, we can. Stretch. Yeah. I think you can look at, you know, who are all the people that you interact with um, in your life and identify people um, who, you know, would be good supports, um, good sounding boards that you could um, talk to about leadership. Definitely. And it does not have to come from, yeah. you know, the business that you're in. Because um, as I said earlier, I read a lot of things outside of healthcare um, to be able to help me learn more about leadership also. Yeah. And, and while we're talking about, you know, what happens in our lives outside of work with family and whatnot. Let's talk about, like we said, about where faith plays a role in your work. And, you know, faith can inform many aspects of what we do and how we do it and the way we see the world and the way we treat other people and um, the whole, you know, it's, it's, it can be part of the whole zeitgeist of, you know, how our life develops and and the lens through which we see the world, I guess. I was trying to find that word. So how right. does faith play a part in in your world and your work? And how does it inform the way that you you move in the world? Well, I think my my faith was really, you know, taught and reinforced from a very early age. Um, and I was parochial school trained. And then when I went to nursing school, I went to a Catholic nursing school. And I think it really formed, first of all, the fact that I would even go into nursing, that, you know, caring is so important, putting um, others before you. Um, I think that that helps. Also, I think, um, you know, I've spent the bulk of my career in um, faith-based organizations. Um, and I've you know, wandered out from time to time. And I continue to go back because that's where my values and the organization values kind of line up. And um, I think that my faith really forms my viewpoint that anyone who comes for care should be taken care of, regardless of can they pay or not, what their cultural background is, their, um, you know, sexual preference their living arrangements, whatever it might be, that we should be taking care of our, you know, fellow human beings and um, giving them the best care that's possible. And so I think that comes right out of my faith in terms of, um, I happen to be Christian, but, you know, that um, it, it forms the way I look, but someone's religion doesn't really matter to me. It matters that they're another human being. And, you know, in my faith, 
learning the teachings of Jesus, he interacted with all sorts of folks that some of his common people from his town, from his religion, did not think he should. Um, but that's just not the way he operated. And I think that if we all um, looked at what do we have in common, as opposed to focusing on what we have different, we'd all be much more caring and more um, cohesive, um, as opposed to, you know, divided like we are. So that that does drive really how I look at things. And I'm really, I've been an advocate, um, even before I went to nursing school, for people, especially those that are most vulnerable. And, um, you know, that is very um, clear um, in terms of being consistent with my faith and um, how people should be treated. Not mm. always well received, but um, it's the right thing to do. Yeah. and and. I think it's lovely. I'm not a faith-based person myself in terms of an organized religion, but I totally understand and appreciate that that perspective. And not that long ago on episode 310, we had Joy Fernandez de Narayan. She's a nurse with Mercy Care Street Medicine in Atlanta. And um, mm-hmm. she was actually just re- recently featured on National Public Radio too for the, the street medicine they do in the Atlanta area where you are. And yeah. um there's some really interesting work being done by faith-based organizations. My, I also, an, in a very recent episode, had the um, director of um, Horse and Harp, which is a, a nonprofit faith-based organization right outside of Atlanta, where they do equine mm-hmm. therapy, and they often work with um, healthcare providers and uh, single moms and kids in foster care. And my sister's on the board, actually. And so there's some great work being done, not just in the Atlanta area, but everywhere by faith-based organizations. Right. So we can't overlook, you know, the, the role that they play. And, and, you know, we can't just dismiss something because it comes from a different paradigm than our own. So thanks for right. sharing about that. I really appreciate that. Sure. Now, um, we have a little time left, and I really want to talk about the work you do as an executive coach. Now, you obviously, I just talked about how you have been a leader in nursing. I just listed not even all the positions that are on your LinkedIn, but a bunch of the most recent ones. So you're coming right. from a place of kind of understanding what it means to be a leader in healthcare and nursing. I think you have a little bit of experience. So you, you're an associate certified coach. You're a certified Genos emotional intelligence practitioner, which I want to talk about. You're a mm-hmm. consultant, a transformational leader. We also talked about servant leadership and you're a leadership advisor. So tell us what it means for people who come to Schmeckel Coaching and Consulting. What What's an example of somebody who comes to you and says, I think I could use your help, Carol? Well, I think there's a, there's a couple kinds of people that might come. Mm-hmm. Um, folks who are um, considering a career transition are in one. Um, and then people who are in leadership positions that really want to develop so they can really um, raise their performance to the next level. That may or may not be because they'd like to eventually you know, be promoted but they just really feel like they need some help um, really advancing their skills. So when people, um, and I, 
coach mostly healthcare, but I coach people outside of healthcare also, um, because I think coaching um, applies across the board. I coached for years when I was in leadership roles and have maintained actually some of those relationships, some as many as 15, 20 years, where we'll, you know, every once in a while check in to see where folks are. Um, and I think I'm really passionate about that because of the lack of coaches and mentors that I found going through my career. Um, and although I do, I, I focus on um, the executives, but I have, needless to say, a soft spot for nursing leaders um, and um, really want to be able to help them because historically, nursing leaders didn't get as much access to external coaches as um, some of the other disciplines did. So when someone comes to work with me, we talk about what are their goals? What do they want to achieve at the end of the coaching engagement, which typically is six months, you know, could be longer depending on what they want to work with. Um, and then we, um, I do an assessment and I um, typically use the Genos um, International um, Emotional Intelligence Assessment, but I also um, sometimes use Profile XT, which is another validated tool. Um, and so what, and I like to do 360s because then that gives the um, individual I'm working with a well-rounded viewpoint. If I use a Profile XT, I'll do a verbal 360 to get more input from the folks I work with. The Genos um, actually has the ability electronically to do a 360. So you can have person you report to, um, some of your peers, people that report to you, and then other people that you might not interact with um, as frequently. And um, that results in a report that tells you for there are six behaviors and there are, um, there are six competencies, sorry, and 42 behaviors. So for each of the behaviors, the people that give input tell you how important is it that you show up displaying this particular behavior. And then they give you a score of how do you really show up so that it gives you the ability to see where your opportunities are for growth. Um, we um, have a tool that can help you if you identify you want to work on being more um, you know, genuine, more transparent. Here's some things that if you work on these, will improve that. Um, and then, you know, part of that process is circling back um, with the folks that gave input to say, here's what I think I'm going to work on. Am I headed in the right direction? Yes, no. If they agree, then engaging them to say, can I circle back in a couple months and will you give me feedback um, directly as to whether or not you're seeing that improvement? And then it sounds like that could be kind of scary. <laughs> could be, could be, but um, you know, it it gives someone a well-rounded view, not just your own view of you know how you're performing. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's important, you know, if leaders wanna um, really continue to grow. And then each session we look at for that particular week. What would you like to work on that session? What would you like the outcomes to look like? Um, and, um, you know, we meet based on the client. Some clients want to meet every week for the six months. Some might not want to meet that frequently. So it really is driven by the client. And I don't do the directing. Um, as I describe it to potential clients, I'm really the guide on the journey. Um, they're really doing the work. They're providing the direction, but I'm just the guide. Um, and, you know, so I do that by asking a lot of very um, thought-provoking, 
um, questions that, you know, kind of do facilitate them sort of stepping back and sort of thinking, um, because we all really have the answers ourselves. We just sometimes need somebody to help us find them so that we can um, continue to grow. Good point. Yeah, that's that's very well said. Now, Profile XT, it says, is a multi-purpose total person employee psychometric assessment test that can measure how well an individual fits specific types of jobs in an organization. And then the Genos emotional intelligence um, work is a different form of assessment that's an applied emotional intelligence um, tool. So people who've listened to my show for a long time have heard me talk a lot about emotional intelligence and I'm not certified in any particular emotional intelligence assessment. This one looks actually quite interesting. I'm glad you've, um, you've introduced me to it. And it says here on the website of Genos International that the Genos model of emotional intelligence is six core skills, self-awareness, awareness of others, authenticity, emotional reasoning, self-management, and positive influence. So are those pretty central to a lot of the work you might do with, let's say, a new CNL who really needs to up his game because he feels like he's not connecting with his direct reports and he's not, he's not reading people the way he feels like maybe he should be. And he's a little, maybe a little, he's not quite there. Like he's a little off the mark and he needs to connect more directly and authentically with people. Are those tools really helpful for helping a nurse leader or nurse executive kind of, you know, really take their game to the next level? It is because underneath each of those core competencies are um, behaviors. So they're very specific behaviors, exactly like we would use on a competency-based evaluation, annual evaluation, to look at, you know, where, which of these skills under a particular competency am I doing well in, where do I need to work a little bit more, and how might I do that? So that's exactly the kind of work that um, we do. Because there's a lot of research, and Genos is um, started at, one of the universities in Australia by Dr. Ben Palmer. So there's a lot of research behind it. And um, it really, you know, has been validated that the level of emotional intelligence of the leader directly impacts the engagement of the, the staff they're working with in turn impacts the bottom line. Um, So it's really, really important that people are very aware of how they're showing up Um, And what they need to do to be able to show up the way that their team expects them to, Um, you know, that's, I didn't mention before, but I, um, you know, coach new leaders that they really should sit down with each of the people on their team to understand where they at, where do they want to go? What are their expectations? um, So that, that, drives how they show up to those groups. Because as we talked about earlier, some people might want more communication verbally, some might want it written, email. So you really need to know your team and you need to show up for them. The other thing that Genos is helpful is with the 360, it really gives them information on, am I showing up the same in every group I am? Because you should be consistent. 
So I shouldn't show up differently if I'm an executive member with the executive team than I am with the managers that report to me than I am if I'm out rounding on the floors. People should see me consistently in all those arenas. And, you know, as a lot of us know, not just in healthcare, but in all kinds of businesses, sometimes leaders show up differently based on who their audience is. Um, And that's not what an emotional intelligent leader does. I see. So looking at this Genos emotional intelligence model, just to talk about it just for a moment more, there's, it's interesting. Like if you take um, awareness of others as one of those core emotional intelligence competencies Mm -hmm. in the unproductive state, that's an insensitive person. You're being insensitive in the productive state. You're empathetic or self-awareness unproductive. You're disconnected and productive, you're present. Right. And in positive influence, you're indifferent, like to your to your um, direct reports, for instance. Mm-hmm. And in your productive state, you're empowering. That's correct. So that so in this in the context of the Genos model, then it goes to show what you just said that the emotional intelligence of a leader does have a very direct re- impact on the direct reports of the people who work under them. And I bet (laughs) in your long, illustrious career in healthcare, you have probably observed some leaders who did not embody this very, very well, did they? Right. That's correct. And what does a team look like when the leader does not embody many or any of these core competencies? What, how does it manifest for the nurses on the floor? Well, then the team would not be engaged. Um, okay. They, in all likelihood, would be somewhat dysfunctional. There's probably a high turnover rate in that group, high absence rate in that group, um, and potentially um, additional errors in terms of their practice. Um, because they're not as engaged as they should be, not as focused. So it can really impact um, patient outcomes. Huh. So patient outcomes and team cohere- cohesion because you have a lot of attrition. Right. So there's kind of a revolving door in the unit maybe. Yeah. And I bet there's probably a, at least one person listening who's nodding their head like, uh-huh. <laughs> and what about... Um, something that's being talked about a lot now during the pandemic. What about burnout and moral injury and compassion fatigue? Mm -hmm. What do we see on teams when you don't have a leader who can embody these kinds of core competencies? What happens to the nurses in that particular respect? Well, sometimes the reason the leader is showing up the way they are is because they are tired, stressed, they have compassion fatigue um, and oh. it potentially will impact the team the same way. If the leader isn't um, engaging, isn't present, isn't listening, they might have demands in terms of schedules that are just um, unbearable because mm-hmm. of all the absenteeism and the turnover. Chances are the staff on that unit are being asked to you know, either work extra shifts or stay later are getting called in on their days off, all things that will contribute to the group um, resulting in compassion fatigue. Um, And so it is a cycle that really has to start with the leader. And I think where we're challenged is that 
um, as I said earlier, as leaders, we are not always comfortable um, to reach out and ask for help. And um, then it directly impacts our group. So I think one of the positives that I see coming out of the pandemic is because there's more of a focus on burnout, compassion, fatigue, people are more likely to reach out, um, not just in healthcare, but across the board. Um, I'm on the board of an organization and someone who is not in healthcare, who is, you know, tasked with caring for a, a, a parent that's not doing well health-wise, plus they're juggling their full-time job. They recently got married and needless to say, they're headed for burnout. And so we've had some conversation around what is it that she will need to do to care for herself so that that doesn't happen. Um, so it, it goes far beyond healthcare providers, although I would say we are um, the best at taking care of everyone else and not ourselves, um, myself included. Are we? Yes, myself yeah. included. Um, yeah, yeah. But it, it goes across the board. And the pandemic, I think, has really pushed people right to the edge um, and, you know, not not reaching out. Um, there was a story this morning about how people need to reach out, whether it's to your neighbors, you know, your family, other friends, and kind of come together to help each other. Um, and that that would be a better outcome for everybody. And I think that's the same in healthcare. Um, we don't have to be the superhero. I think you're spot on. Um, one last question. When you have an emotionally intelligent leader is fully engaged, et cetera. All the awesome things we've been talking about for this last 40 minutes or so. What is the impact of having that kind of leader on the potential for having bullying or incivility on a unit? How do those two things correlate? Well, that kind of leader, an emotionally intelligent leader is going to be Mm -hmm. tuned in enough to know that that's going on and they're going to address it. That is not something that an emotionally intelligent leader is going to tolerate um, in a group that they work with. Um, and so I think for nurses, um, you know, who we as a, a profession kind of have a history of eating our young, um, emotional intelligent leaders are not going to allow that to continue because that's not healthy for anybody. Um, and I think sometimes people who are the, you know, identified as bullies, um, no one has ever sat them down and really provided that feedback. Um, because I have worked with folks who have bullied. And when I've had the conversation, they really are, they can't believe that's how people perceive them. No one's ever told them that. And, you know, really? Yeah. Me? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's why, you know, emotional intelligent leaders are so important because you can address some of those things. It gives that person who has been identified as the bully the opportunity themselves to grow and improve. And granted, some people that'll be a more successful you know, strategy than it will be for others, but you at least have to have the courage to um, bring it to people's attention, not shy away. Because that's a great example where the people who are part of your group that you're leading, they watch for that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And when you don't address it, it sends a real clear message that bullying is tolerated in this group. 
That's so true. My friend, Dr. Renee Thompson has said the same thing here on the show, that you have to address it right away or you're sending a very clear message and it's not the message you want to be sending. And, you know, it just feels like emotional intelligence. (laughs) I know that in nursing school, they teach to the NCLEX and, you know, there's things they have to focus on. But it seems to me that a course on emotional intelligence would be pretty darn important to teach in nursing school. So I would so. agree. The folks at Genos International this year will be actually introducing curriculum for high school. Oh, that's cool. Teaching that's great. emotional intelligence. Good place to start. So yeah. Yeah, it is. I agree. It needs to be taught in nursing schools and medical mm-hmm. schools. Um, so that we can um be present differently than we are at this point. That would be, uh, that would make for a much better world. Well, thanks for being part of making it a better world, Carol. And if somebody wants to work with you, we'll have your LinkedIn, which is, you know, the usual LinkedIn URL, which is linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash Carol Schmeckel, S-C-H-M-E-K-E-L. The link will be in the show notes and people can find you there. So that's the best place for them to connect with you and learn about you. And can they make a date to like have a consult or something? They can um, message me or they can also email me. And my email is on my LinkedIn account. They can feel free to email me directly. And um, I'd be glad to have an initial consult, which um, is free of charge um, to anyone who'd like to talk to me about maybe working together. That's great. And that's schmeckelcoachingandconsulting at gmail.com. That will also be in the show notes at nursekeith.com forward slash episode 318. So Carol, thank you so much. This was really enlightening and heartening to hear that there's one more person out there doing this really awesome work to grow, oops, to grow nurse leaders. And I really appreciate you, you know, fighting the good fight out there and helping people grow in in really positive directions. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nurse Keith Show. And remember, please head over to nursekeith.com forward slash episode 318 to learn all about Carol Schmeckel. You can even message her and connect with her on LinkedIn, send her a personalized message and tell her that you heard her on Nurse Keith's show. And maybe you might want to have a consult with her just to chat about your leadership. So I hope you feel uplifted and empowered for this episode. And I encourage you to take inspired action every day in the interest of your personal and professional satisfaction. And if you need holistic career coaching from me, Nurse Keith, look no further than nursekeith.com and get in touch. The Nurse Keith Show is a member of the Health Podcast Network, a large and fast-growing and fascinating podcast network, including podcasts from the Mayo Clinic, Penn Nursing, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, the New England Journal of Medicine, and so much more. Head over to the healthpodcastnetwork.com to learn about all the new shows that have been posted there over these past months. It's really growing fast, and I'm proud to be a member. The Nurse Keith Show is produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting, and Mark Cappy Spieson is our stalwart social media ringmaster. I'm always grateful to Rob and Mark for keeping me turning in the right direction. 
Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico and friend of the pod, Carol Schmeckel, bidding you adieu from the Atlanta, Georgia area. Atlanta, Georgia, where my wonderful sister lives. And I can't wait to meet you in person, Carol, next time I'm able to come down to Atlanta. So yeah, thank you for being here. Thanks for listening. And we will catch everybody on the flip side. Bye.